0: (laughs) so here's another example of how i don't know what i'm doing so of course we're working on refinishing the back deck right
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and on the back deck it's elevated it's a second story deck cantilevered out from the house there are these two light fixtures on the wall and the original style of the house was pretty modern but the fixtures kind of look like uh I guess like carriage house lanterns or something painted all black, uh, with little decorative points that come out of the bottom and stuff, but they are showing their age. They're starting to look pretty rough. So we thought, well, hmm, we're finally getting close to the end of this project. If we put all this work into redoing the deck, um, why don't we go ahead and replace the light fixtures too? So we go to Lowe's and We find a couple that we like that are, you know, just a little more modern looking, nothing too, too fancy, but they look kind of nice. And without a whole lot of thought, we just snap them up, bring them home. So I go to install them and the first one goes super smooth. Then I get to the second one, I pull the old fixture off, I have the wires hanging out, you know, I've checked that I'm not going to electrocute myself, now all the voltage is dead. And I'm connecting the wires up with wire nuts and balancing the fixture with one hand and twisting wires with the other hand. You know, my hands are up above my head, which is always super comfortable. (laughs) And I go to take the last step, which involves screwing the light fixture to the bracket that it mounts to. Uh And I realize that the old light fixture had screws on top and bottom. The new light fixture has them on the side. I think, all right, no problem. Most light fixtures have the option to do top and bottom or on the sides. Does this one? No. And there's trim on either side of the light fixture, so I can't even get the screw in the hole because it's too close to the trim. So I'm standing there holding the light fixture, balancing, trying to figure out how I'm going to make this work. And suddenly I get a genius idea. Oh, I have my phone. I can text for help. (laughs) So I text downstairs to get somebody to come up and hold the light fixture for me. And uh, actually Jeff was over at the time. so, So Jeff comes up and holds the light fixture and we stand there. And the two of us brainstorm for like 20, 30 minutes, can't figure out what to do. So finally I get another genius idea that's like straight out of... I don't know, someplace in, uh, in Arkansas or something. I go, I know I'll just get a, one of those zip ties and I'll zip tie it to the hole. (laughs) (laughs) So currently one of our light fixtures is mounted with one screw and one zip tie.
1: (laughs) It's not going anywhere at least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can't really tell it's uh, maybe a little crooked, but it's up there.
1: Hello and welcome. This is episode two of We Don't Know What We're Doing, a podcast on the thoughts and misadventures of your hosts. I'm Matt Austin in Fairfax, Virginia, and with me, of course, is Joshua Crawford from Kansas City, Missouri. So, how was your fourth? Do you have a good
0: Independence Day? I did um this was not our traditional fourth because every year of my life up till now we've always gone to a fireworks show, and this is the first time I can say we didn't, and we were actually planning on it, but the more we talked about it, we started thinking, okay, so we drive wherever it is, we plant our lawn chairs, we get all settled, they don't start till nine thirty or ten o'clock. And then they probably go till 1030 or 11 and then we have maybe another 30 minutes to fight the traffic, to get out, to get home. And then realistically, Nathaniel, isn't getting to bed till like midnight. (laughs) And the more we talked about it, we were like, Nope, not worth it. So we hung out with family, did a few sparklers in the driveway and that was about it. How about yours?
1: Yeah, we had the uh the same kind of calculus. Honestly, it was a little bit hard to get into it this year or just to feel, you know, super patriotic just cuz I knew that we were going to be spending it mostly uh here at home. We did go out to see some friends during the day. Uh we just went out and we we're hanging in their backyard and they had a little kiddie pool and Abigail was having all sorts of fun. But, nice. you know, I knew that as soon as we got home, like we're not going to leave for the day. We're not even going to see anyone else. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I wasn't super exciting. So, you know, 7.30, we put Abigail down to bed. And we're like, all right, well, I guess we'll go watch the Netflix or something for a little bit. And <laughs> so a- after one show, we did step outside just to see, you know, just to watch, see if we could see any uh, neighbors, if anyone was going to blow themselves up. And, and <laughs> I was like, wait, we still have, you know, leftover uh, sparklers from our wedding. And we got, like, a whole big box of them. So I ran downstairs, mm-hmm. I grabbed two, like, okay, we have one each. We lit our sparkler, waved it around, and we're like, okay, well, that was good. We'll go back and watch some more uh, some more Netflix.
0: <laughs> so you did your patriotic duty. You, uh, you celebrated Independence Day with some form of combustion.
1: We did. And, you know, based on the box that we have, I think we should be good at this rate until, like, you know, the 2060s, at least.
0: Great. Well, Abigail will be, uh, you know, ready to go to fireworks shows by then, so.
1: Yeah, although... I don't even remember the last time I've been doing like an actual proper fireworks show just because who wants to fight the traffic? Like I, I definitely have no <laughs> desire really to go back into, you know, do the DC fourth and all of that because it's just, it's just so much of a hassle.
0: <laughs> See that that's your problem living on the East coast. You guys have like hills and rivers and things. So you don't have a lot of road options and you guys get all bottlenecked, you know, going into your secure areas and stuff to watch fireworks. This is a wild west out here. People just shoot them wherever, so a lot easier to get in and out.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was one year uh, when Jamie and I were still dating. She was living with some friends in Manassas, and we were just hanging out in their backyard for the Fourth. And their neighbors had like all of the you know military grade fireworks, and and later the twenty twos came out, and I was like okay, we'll go, we'll stay inside. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a wise choice. Yeah, yeah, it was so hot too that. Honestly, uh, even without Nathaniel, I don't know that we would have felt like doing a whole lot.
1: Yeah, it wasn't as hot as it was supposed to be, which was nice. Uh, They actually ended up... So every year there's a family at our church that opens up their house and their lawn just for everyone to come over and uh, do like a barbecue while there's still light before everyone wants to disperse to go see shows. But they're like, yeah, we think it's supposed to rain and it's going to be like 95. So we're just going to cancel because ain't no one want that. (laughs) And I I don't blame them. It actually was, you know, quite a bit nicer, by which I mean to say there was, it was humid and 90, but you know, there was no rain and it wasn't 95, so.
0: Right. Yeah, it it could could definitely have been worse.
1: Yeah. So shall we get into the uh, topic?
0: Uh, I guess if we have to. I'm just kidding. The 4th is fun. Although, I will say one last thing about the 4th. The fact that it was on a Wednesday really threw me off. Like, today felt like Monday.
1: Yeah, you can't really get any good traction either coming or going into it, because you have you're either taking two days off before if you're going to do something big, or two days after, and then it just it doesn't seem like it's even worth that much.
0: Yeah, honestly, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but I'd I'd almost rather just not have a day off in the middle of the week, because it, it makes... Going both parts of the week so difficult.
1: but uh, July 4th, observed on July 6th.
0: <laughs> if my office gave me that flexibility, that would have been nice. <laughs> so, Matt, getting into our topic. Uh, last time, we talked about the sources of our news and information that we consciously or unconsciously absorb. And this week, I've been going even deeper into the rabbit hole. I've been thinking a little bit about the forces that shaped us as people and made us who we are today. And I realized that there are a lot of factors, probably some I'm not even aware of, and I'm not really sure how big of an influence each of them has had. So a short list of possibilities I came up with include parents, obviously, uh, genetic factors, which I guess you could say is kind of related, Uh, education or lack of it, maybe in my case, personal experience, friendships, jobs we've had, choices we've made. And I'm sure there's a bunch more. But I guess the first question I've got for you, Matt, you've lived in a number of places over the years of your life. Do you find that your accent changes based on who you hang out with?
1: Nah. (laughs) No, but I mean, seriously, as far as I know, like, you know, it's always hard to judge in yourself, and in you're comparing yourself to recordings from 10 years ago, which mercifully, there really are none. But as far as I can tell, like, I've always had the same sort of semi flat accent. Actually, I'm kind of curious how would you classify my accent?
0: Honestly, you're, to me, and I, maybe I'm not the best person to ask because every time I try, for example, to do a Scottish accent. I get told I'm butchering it and it's more like some weird cross between Irish and Bostonian and who knows what else. But, um, your accent to me sounds pretty standard Midwest.
1: Yeah. And that's about fair. And I mean, neither of my parents really have accents. My dad has, I guess, a slight bit of a Southern accent at some times, but even then it's, I would be hard pressed to say, oh yeah, that's a Southern accent. (laughs) Um, yeah, I remember actually, so when I lived in North Carolina, I went to high school there and to graduate there, one of the requirements was it's a senior exit something or other evaluation project. It was S E E P. Um, so there are two components to it. There's like a 25, 30 page paper that you had to do, and then an oral presentation to go along with it. And so at the end of all that, one of the judges, you know, after they asked, you know, the questions about my actual topic, she was like, you don't really have a Southern accent. And I'm like,
0: thank you. <laughs> Best compliment you could pay me.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so it's always been sort of this kind of generic Latin. I think there's, there's definitely a group of people that always say like, oh, we don't have an accent. Like you have to have, you know, there is some accent, like there's no, not an accent. I I'm not really sure what that would be other than, I mean, like what would not an, not an accent be in England? I mean, would that be like received pronunciation for the King's English, Queen's English, or like what, what's your <laughs> that, benchmark here?
0: That, that's um, the thing. I mean, accent is, is all relative, right? So like uh, the couple of times I've been over to Europe, for example, I asked one of the people I was hanging out with in the Netherlands, I said, so do I have an accent? And they, you know, nodded vigorously because of course to their ears, any American English is an accent um, I think maybe the reason in America we think of Midwestern accents as being the closest thing to not having an accent is just because there aren't there aren't syllables or words that we have really stand out ways of pronouncing um, you know some of the hallmarks like when you, when you go up north people start dragging out their O's and stuff like that. Or, or throwing in R's where they shouldn't be like, you know, sh- shoe and, and boot or something like that. Uh, and we don't, we don't do that in the Midwest, but any, any way of speaking is going to sound like an accent to somebody, I think.
1: Yeah. So did you have this kind of tendency to want to, you know, you go over to the UK, like to join in, like, Oh, I can, I can talk like that. Like, do you ever have that? I'm, I'm honestly kind of curious.
0: <laughs> so, this is embarrassing, but I guess, you know, since the show is about how much we don't know what we're doing, I'll just confess. I do occasionally give interviews, um, but not for the people that you would think of, you know, like CNN or Fox News or whatever. I give interviews in the shower. And uh whenever I'm being interviewed, I always for some reason default to my my cheap 10-cent British accent. So, yes, I'm I'm a joiner. I would love to uh, be I would love to have a British accent. I, I think you just sound more educated.
1: <laughs> at, at least to the Americans. Um, right. And probably, I can't think of who would think, oh, the British, they're all idiots. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's
0: something. <laughs> uh, probably the French.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, for that matter, like, I could never imagine going over to UK and then wanting to try out my fake British accent. It's just, there's no way that I can imagine that would even go well, like remotely. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you'd probably either, best case scenario, get laughed at, worst case scenario, get punched. So,
1: yeah, I mean, there's no way I could even keep it, you know, consistent. I mean, considering that, you know, as much as, you know, 40 years ago, you could probably have a minute's conversation with someone over there and they would know within miles of where you lived. Uh, I I don't think it's quite the same uh, as, from what I understand now, uh, as sort of kind of conglomerating into, you know, a mega British accent, at least in parts. But, uh, yeah. So, or even, you know, being less ambitious, like we went down to Texas and I could probably do a Texas accent without too much trouble, but there's never a moment where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like, it, <laughs> it's just, that's that kind of reflex isn't really in me. I was kind of thinking, cause I, I know we had at least one, we could probably think of other friends, uh, in college, where they would go somewhere and they would come back, and like for the next four days, it would be that accent.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: I I don't know if you have the same people in mind. I'm not going to bother going into names or anything, but I kind of wonder, like, what is it? Because it also seems to be centered on that kind of age range. You know, like someone our age is probably not going to be doing that. You know, when they come back from a trip, maybe you know little jokes or something like that. But you know, to try to keep it up, and I'm like. Is it like, you know, just not being, not knowing or being comfortable with yourself or like, is it a desire to actively remake or reshape yourself? Like, oh yeah, this is my accent now. I'm going to, I'm going to change how I am. Like, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I even bumped into a guy at the airport who, uh, interestingly enough, was from the Netherlands, uh, but he's lived in the United States for probably the last 30 years and uh, for part of the time that he lived in the U.S., he lived down south. I think it was Alabama or Georgia, one of those states. And now he's lived up north, the opposite, for a good chunk, maybe 15 years, like Minnesota, Michigan, something like that. And he told me that he lived south long enough that if he goes back, he will start to kind of slip into an accent again. Um yeah and, and I can see that like if was, that's
1: your first immersion experience you're going to use those kinds of inflections.
0: Right. And he, and he I mean he was, you know, 40 or 50 years old. Like he was pretty mature so I don't think he was trying to change who he was. But I've noticed like uh some people I've talked to it's not even so much the age range it's more like the personality. And I guess that's why I started with this and and used this as a way to kind of broach the topic because accents is just kind of a humorous example, but you know, we're not really soci- uh, sociologists. I can't even pronounce the word, <laughs> but, uh, not part of your accent. people. It, right. Uh, sociologists will talk about, for example, you know, uh, that yawning is kind of like a, a herd behavior. If you see someone else yawn that you're connected with in, in some way that you're more prone to yawn yourself. And there's all these cues that we take from people. Um, so I find that I am that type of person. I do tend to kind of unconsciously start mimicking other people's accents uh, and behaviors. Even even now that I'm in my mid-30s, I'm not in college, and I feel like I'm pretty secure in who I am. Um, but even I spent earlier this spring uh, for a field assignment, I spent about four weeks off and on up in – uh, the Wisconsin region up by green Bay. And when I came back, I was catching myself pronouncing w- words really weird. <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this? And I don't, I don't know what it is. So you're not that kind of person. I mean, are there things beside accents where you find yourself copying people without recognizing it? I think there's
1: definitely lots of little things you can sort of point to like, Oh, I say, you know, this because of this friend or because of, you know, this television show, uh, you know, it was taken from some character on there. Um, I'm having trouble like thinking any of those immediately for myself. Um, but it's kind of easy enough to see like, Oh yeah, that was that guy's catchphrase. And that was all really popular at the time. So we all kind of just started saying it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's funny cause it's sort of, I remember you, uh, you sort of imagine, uh, you know, That was part of that TV show and then take it one step back. You know, that writer, he took it from his roommate at the time, you know, who took it from from someone else. So it's sort of, it's almost like the original definition of a meme, you know, something that's mimetic is by existing, it sort of self propagates, you know, it, it happens in one place and then you see it starts happening in other places just by the virtue of it having happened.
0: Right. Yeah, I used to make myself laugh quite a bit because uh, before meta was even a phrase that people were using when I was in college. There were several of those kind of cultural jokes that I would pick up on enough to know that if I shared it, people would laugh without really completely understanding the context. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, uh, remember uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. Yeah, so still haven't seen it to this day. But I could be standing there talking with people and be like, gosh, and everybody would laugh. <laughs>
1: I, I feel like now it's probably less of a requirement for you to have seen that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I'm safe.
1: <laughs> oh, you, you think you are, but you're just missing out on so many other things that you need to have seen right now in order to make sense in the future. 15, years, sure. ago, 15 years from now, there's going to be some joke and you're just not going to get it at all. And where will yeah.
0: you be? Actually, at that point, I'll just be old. That's what my kids <laughs> will tell me. I'm just old and out of touch.
1: Yelling so. at people to get off your lawn. Stop That's telling right. these weird jokes. They're not even funny.
0: That's right. So, uh, I guess the f- more serious question would be uh, what, when you think about the factors that have kind of influenced you and made you who you are, I'm sure they've changed over time. Uh, what are some some of the bigger factors that you see within, like the past ten years, say?
1: I, I think the biggest one, overall for me, the more that I think about it, is, you know, I I think, you know, our parents is sort of the inescapable one. Uh, you know, I can see that, like, you know, how I treat my wife, how we raise Abigail, how I want to raise Abigail, and those are by far, you know, the most important things and I can see the influence of them and both my parents and just, you know, specific friends, because we're responding to how they are with each other and how they are with our kids. And you know, sometimes we're looking at friends like, you know, yeah, God bless them. We could never do that. But there are other times where we just, you know, we see something like, Oh, I want to take that. I, I want to steal that. You know, I want our kid to be like that. And so I, I think those like are. Our our friends and our family are clearly going to outpace anything uh, in terms of, I I think, what we want to see the final outcome to be, you know, for our own Mm -hmm. lives.
0: Do you think – this is something that I've thought about quite a bit. Do you think that your parents' influence came primarily through, like, I guess for lack of a better term – genetic influence you know just that you are in a sense some kind of a genetic copy of the two of your parents uh, or do you think the bigger influence is just how they raised you like if this is a complete theoretical obviously we can't possibly know this but if you had been adopted and had no idea and you were raised by the same parents uh, do you think you'd be largely the same person you are
1: I, I do not. Uh, I largely kind of disregard genetics in that much, you know, excepting for the fact that, you know, okay, maybe I'm more likely to end up with type 2 diabetes or with, uh, you know, kidney stones. Um, <laughs> neither of those sound like great options. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, but as far as actual personality, there's so much work that gets put into that. And, you know, we're we have an eighteen-month-old daughter, so we have kind of some sense into her personality, and we can see, you know, these are the aspects of it. But that's not—I don't think that's the hugest part of, you know, the way that we actually go about and do things. You know, I—I I think it builds on that, but I think that, uh, different, you know, if you're, if you're raised differently, I think that's going to be the biggest component.
0: Yeah. And I, I would have said that, uh, for most of my life, just watching Nathaniel though, so far 19 months into this, I am amazed at how much of his own person he is. Um, so like I, I see mannerisms and things that he's already copying from the two of us, but there's also these things he's been doing since he was, you know, just a couple months old. It's like, where did, that come from <laughs> so there's something there i can't explain but i'm sure uh someday when he gets married he will still hear those dreaded words you are just like your dad
1: yeah it's so funny like i'll we'll be out and jamie will look at me like you walk just like your father I'm like i don't even know what that means <laughs> i'm just walking <laughs> keep up
0: uh yeah i'm catching myself more and more doing things and saying things. And sometimes I don't notice it and Sarah will point it out, but sometimes I notice it and I just go, Oh my gosh, I am my father. <laughs> Which for the most part, honestly, you can is do a worse. good thing. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> I really respect my dad, but there are some things that I was, I was kind of wanting to not copy.
1: All of the bad jokes that you thought were like, Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be so much more winny.
0: Exactly. Dad jokes is definitely at the top of the list.
1: <laughs> so there's one, one thing that I real or one uh, factor I realized, I, I think that was missing from your list. It's kind of, it's partly in there, but it's sort of in the background. And I, I want to point out, you know, there's parents and friendships. And then also just in general, the communities that we're a part of. I I think that's another big one, especially sort of, you know, the voluntarily the communities the communities that we join, voluntarily or even not, um, you know, whether or not it was, you know, a particular club at college, or I mean, obviously for us, I think one of the biggest ones is the churches that we belong to, and we see how those have kind of fed into it and you know certainly they fed into friendships uh you know different experiences that we've had maybe even jobs uh just you know as being a part of that but I I do think those require uh, a special mention here
0: yeah that's an interesting point how would you kind of differentiate those from friendships in particular
1: uh I suppose it (laughs) it was I suppose with churches, uh, maybe it depends on your ecclesiology and uh, depending on how tightly um, you hold to certain things as far as, you know, what it means to be a part of the church. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because that's not just strictly, you know, a friendship base, you know, and it's not just simply showing up at church and seeing your friends. It's being under teaching, you know, receiving instructions, receiving the sacraments, and, you know, the sort of the impact that that has to mold you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So you're, if you're the kind of person that's just showing up to church and kind of listening to a motivational message and then walking away, maybe that doesn't have as strong of influence, but if you're kind of, if you're invested in it, you're committed to it, um, you're, you're absorbing the, that teaching and that way of thinking, then that's certainly going to be a big influence. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned communities too, because, uh, so this is something that Sarah and I were talking about recently also. So I don't know if this is changing maybe, but, uh, it definitely seems like when we talk about being part of a church that that kind of community is really an aberration in society. Like if I, you know, if I look at uh, some of the non-Christian friends I have uh, or neighbors or whatever, their social groups primarily consist of their family. If their family, you know, is still connected, which in a lot of cases it's not, uh, or like their, you know, their, kind of intramural sport team that they play on or their golf buddies or whatever, you know, former school friends, work friends. So I guess the common thread is there's, there's something, some common activity or motivator that draws people together. And church is the only place that I've ever seen where you end up with people from, all different locations all different walks of life all different belief systems and the only thing that's holding them together is this commitment to a a common set of beliefs in a sense uh this this idea that each one of them has encountered the living god and been changed and transformed in some way and so the good churches or the the good community that i've seen that belief is really strong and it it trumps everything else uh, the not so good churches that i've seen or groups that i've been a part of that that sense or that reality isn't all that strong and so you you kind of just end up with this weird social click uh, where you're using some of the same language but you still aren't all that connected, if that makes sense and and then it starts to feel kind of artificial because uh, you know some of the other groups, there's no expectation that you're going to connect your lives together with your golf buddies, like you're just there to play golf, you know, but uh, when people come to church, they have this expectation it seems like that there's going to be more deeper there, more shared shared thinking and shared lives so I don't know. That was something I was thinking about the other day. That I, I think that's kind of unique in the the professing Christian experience.
1: I think so, and I, I think part of it is that uh, the directionality of it is kind of backwards. You know, I see it as the church has a legitimate claim on our lives for us to be responsive and to submit to it. Whereas you know all of the any sort of other thing you know a job is generally you know it's a voluntary commitment like you're signing up I will do this work for this pay or you know yeah we'll go hang out and play golf but that doesn't have any you know no one's going to come you know and say you're you're doing this wrong I won't play golf with you I mean maybe <laughs> now depending on uh, you know your politics and Twitter feed that may or may not still happen to you but. <laughs> Uh, in that case, it's sort of acting in the place of of religion, uh, right? And so yeah, that I, I think that's where the difference comes in.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And so, like, this is one of the complaints that people in our generation or, or any generation would level against some of the more like non-denominational, non-traditional churches because they. Approach the association more from the voluntary perspective, uh, and and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I've spent most of my life in non-denominational churches. I enjoy them. That's where I feel probably the most at home. But they, there is something that I think they they can lose sometimes. Uh, yes, we we all are choosing freely to associate, but we're doing so because we believe that we owe Jesus Christ our lives and we all have that in common. And he has commanded his people to associate together. Right. And, you know, to, to follow certain practices. So.
1: So I guess that actually kind of brings us to, you know, one of the next questions I, that we have in mind is, you know, are we largely the same person that we were 10 years ago or, you know, can we, can you see a shift?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. In some ways, I, I see myself as being exactly the same person. In some ways, I definitely see a shift. Uh, and I guess that kind of seems like a non-answer. So I'll, I'll give maybe some more specifics. My, I think my worldview is largely the same. Uh, like a lot of the, I will call them default positions I would take on a, on an issue or a situation are are fundamentally the same, I think. But I do see a little bit of a softening maybe that has come through experience. Just like we talked about in our first episode, the older I get, the less I feel like I know what I'm doing. The more experience I have, the more I see that I really don't know what I'm doing. So I think there is some growing humility. Uh, that maybe leads to more more gentleness and more openness with people. But I, I also see a negative flip side of that. There are some, some parts of my life that I was very confident with. So one example would be uh, if I walked up to just any random person on the street and struck up a conversation with them, and they had a question about God or about the Bible – I feel like when I was younger, I would have been very confident to answer that. Now, over time, I feel like my my mind has been more cluttered with uh, what I'll call noise, I guess, just bits of information and counter information on every different issue. And so that causes some static in my thinking. But then I think even beyond that, I've just had more time to see my own life, not necessarily consistently reflect my theology. And that makes me less confident because I only want to share with people what is actually real for me. I don't want to tell them something just because it's a talking point or, or just because, you know, I believe that it's doctrinally sound. Uh, I want it to be something that I've actually experienced on in a consistent way. So, uh, yeah. So I guess just to summarize all that, I definitely see some areas of my life where I think I am nearer to God now than I was and where I'm a little bit better at dealing with people. Uh, but I also see areas of life where I'm, I guess you could say I'm in need of some renewal and and restoration, some, some refreshment. What about you?
1: Uh, yeah, I think my answer is actually quite a bit similar. You know, I'm still fundamentally going to be the same person. Like there's not anyone I can think of from college that if they just showed up, they'd be like, oh, you're a completely different person. Like I don't even recognize this, Matt Austin. Who are you and what have you done with it? <laughs> uh, you know, all of that, you know, the same stuff that personality wise and that sort of thing is very much the same. But, you know, hopefully, you know, all of those interests, you know, I'm better at them. I'm a better programmer. I'm a better cook, better photographer, you know, all that sort of things. But you know, beyond just you know leveling up the few key stats that I, I you know I'm concerned with and and grinding on those to get those to to the next level, so I can get fancier gear. Um, yeah, a lot of kind of the softer things I would say have changed. You know, the uh, I I would say I kind of have the same. Actually, I'm probably going the different way in terms of what I'm confident in in the faith. I I think that I'm. I feel like I'm at least, you know, a little bit more mature, um, you know, and however much I wish there were more, I do see evidence that I am actually, you know, growing in the faith and being more, of more Christ-like and those sorts of things. And part of that is, you know, my priorities have changed. Um, you know, I now have a house, a mortgage, <laughs> a wife and a kid, uh, those I did not have 10 years ago. And I just, you know, I sort of remember coming home from the hospital with Abby and the last stop sign before we got to our house, you know, I just had this kind of like motto, like emblazoned on my head, you know, all, all the, I mean, all its wisdom is just do the thing. And it was just kind <laughs> of, you know, oh, you're tired. Do the thing. She's whining at you. Do the thing. They're both whining at you. Do the thing. And maybe also think about apologizing because you probably did something stupid. <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of, you know, rather mechanistic, you know, if if do the thing is just, you know, every day, you know, we're washing the jars that we use uh, to put Abby's food in for daycare. But, I mean, honestly, I kind of see that sort of thing as, you know, it's an expression of love and self-denial. You know, I do the thing and I'm happy to do the thing because I love you and we need to get the thing done. And, you know, this is going to enable you to have, you know, that much more rest. And so that's sort of... I think that's probably the biggest change, I, I would say that I have. Uh, but yeah, still, still your you know fun loving, friendly neighborhood Spider Man.
0: <laughs> I didn't know you had Spider Man skills. That's that's a new one.
1: Well, if everyone knew, then it would just be all kinds of trouble. Imagine how many, how many evil heroes, evil villains. Uh, not too many evil heroes there are, I guess. Uh, Would not be showing up at my door asking for a fight, so I, t- I try to keep it under wraps.
0: That's true. Speaking of of wraps, we're probably going to have to wrap up here pretty soon because uh, also talking about doing the thing, I may have to go help put my son back to sleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought I heard something earlier, and I'm th- I'm listening through the, my microphone, my headphones, and Abby's all the way upstairs. And I'm like, is that her? Like think that's coming from his end not my problem
0: yeah yeah no it's definitely on my end and okay. uh sometimes some daddy intervention is needed but <laughs> one one last comment the uh i think kind of what you were saying there toward the end gets a little bit into a topic that you and i were discussing a little bit before and i, I definitely want to hit more in another episode and that is just kind of the whole idea of uh, of contentment, like who, who is it that God has made us to be and becoming that person. And, uh, because you, what you're describing, you've kind of undergone a transition in your role. And so you had a recognition that your role is different. And so now your behavior and your priorities have to be different. And sometimes we kind of have those transitions thrust on us in a sense. Uh, and sometimes we have a more active choice in them. We may even plan them and shape them. But uh, I think being confident that we're where God wants us to be is huge for for having peace and uh, for having direction. So I think that'll be a good topic for another time in the future.
1: I like it. So shall we move to uh, starting to wrap things up then?
0: Yeah, I think you had uh, something you wanted to share about uh, something excellent. Uh, Yeah, so we're going to
1: be closing our episodes, hopefully, with uh, semi-random excellence. Uh, Basically, we just talk about things that we've been enjoying or that we think is worth pointing out. Um, So I am going to give a shout out to another podcast, actually, on Taking Pictures, hosted by uh, photographers Bill Wadman and Jeffrey Sidoris. Uh, they are, you know, probably the podcasts that got me into listening to podcasts because I could actually tolerate the conversation and the banter between them. And it was actually just it was enjoyable to sit and listen uh, as these guys talked about, you know, various, you know, photography related, artistic related, creativity related topics um, slash, you know, maybe a little bit of therapy session uh, depending on the week. But I wanted to give them a shot because I, I think, uh, as we talk about, you know, the things that have shaped us, in my mind, there's a lot of on taking pictures that I liked and that I thought if I had a podcast, this is the way that I would want to do it. Like, this is how I would want it to sound. This is what would be, you know, this is the platonic ideal of a podcast, um, <laughs> So unfortunately, uh, they have been going for 320-some episodes, uh, more than 600 hours, and they are rightfully calling it quits. Uh, That's a darn good run, and I don't know that we would ever uh, get quite that far to it uh, to challenge that sort of uh, a record. I don't know what you think. (laughs)
0: Uh, I heard it said that a long journey is completed one step at a time, so... I won't attempt to predict how many steps we take before we fall flat on our face.
1: All right. Well, every other week we have only got like what, 12 years to, to get there.
0: Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah. One step at a time.
0: Maybe we'll know what we're doing by then.
1: <laughs> we'll have to change the name. We'll have to, we'll have to end it there and then start over with a new one.
0: Right. We do know what we're doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? So, yeah, uh, that is it for us. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is podcast at we don't know.info, INFO. Our website is we don't know.info, INFO. That has all the important social media links for us. We are now actually available on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and whatever third party services are scraping them to provide you podcasts. So, that should be. Darn near everyone that I can think of, but if you're missing, uh, give us a shout out. Um, Our website has all the important social media links. Uh, Please write us. Uh, We would love to hear from you guys. And yeah, whatever you got, we'll take it. Uh, We will be back with you in another two weeks talking about the things we once were. Uh, Basically all the fun stuff that we used to do that we are now too old and too uh, bogged down in life to get to.
0: Have a good night (laughs) Thanks guys
1: That went so much better
0: (laughs) I'm in agreement